Welcome to the Hand Tools and Techniques Woodworking Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rosieski, answering your questions and bringing you tips and tricks to help you get the most out of your time in the shop. Do you have trouble holding small stock for planing grooves or rabbits? Are you struggling with options for resawing wide boards? Do you need a saw for cutting long curves? I'll discuss these topics and more today on Hand Tools and Techniques. Hey everyone, welcome back to Hand Tools and Techniques. Thanks for joining me for episode 52 of the show for July 3rd, 2019. Happy Independence Day to uh, all my friends in the, uh, in the States here. So before I start today's show, I we'll just want to take a minute, as always, to thank all of our patrons for your continued support of the show. Listener support helps to keep the show going, so if you'd like to support the show yourself, just head on over to patreon.com slash brfinewoodworking. If you're already a patron, again, I thank you, and be sure to head on over to the Patreon posts page to submit your questions and requests for the next patron Q&A video. So I actually did get a little bit of shop time this week. Uh, I've been working on the on the shop itself, working on a, a cupboard that is uh, destined to hold my my grinder. So uh, trying to get that finished because uh, my next project for the cabin, other than trimming out the windows, which we've been working on, uh, but the next project that I'll be starting is to to get the bathroom. Uh, the bathroom vanity cabinets and kitchen cabinets and, and get started on those so uh, I got to make sure the shop is set up enough that uh, I can move through building those cabinets without uh, too many hiccups so we'll see how uh, how that goes but enough about me let's get into our questions for this week so first one comes from William he says my question follows up on your hold down clamping discussion I'm wanting to cut a groove in an 8 inch by 2.5 inch piece. My challenge is holding it down so that I can cut the groove. The smallness of the size of the piece works against clamping the ends on the bench. Further, clamps interfere with my Stanley 45 cutting the groove. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, this, can, this one can be a, a bit of a challenge. Um, there are a couple of things that you can do. Um, but you're going to have to pay attention to to a few key points as well. The first thing you want to keep in mind is that you're going to need to keep the edge of your stock um, overhanging the front edge of your bench a little bit in order for the fence of that plow plane to be able to reference the stock. Um, so not only do you have a small piece in length, um, the width of that piece is also going to make it a bit of a challenge to hold uh, against your bench top because you need to plane right, essentially right on the edge of that bench top um, in order to be able to reference your fence off the edge. There are a couple things you can do. Um, the first would be to use a combination of a, a planing stop um, and some type of batten or um, sometimes called a doe's foot um, which is just a board with a, a 90 degree notch in it that you can use to kind of uh, lock in the corner 
what you really need to do is, is just kind of keep those pieces um, thinner than your stock. So, you know, if you're, let's say what you're looking to plane is a, a groove in is a drawer side, you know, maybe that's a half inch, half inch thick piece of wood. Um, keep your planing stop thinner than that half inch, obviously. Um, and also y your dose foot, your batten, whatever you want to call it, um, should also be thinner than that piece so that it's not going to get in the way. Um, and you can put the, the work piece up against the planing stop and then your doe's foot or your batten would push against the back end. So it would kind of, um, it would kind of lock in that rear corner of your stock to keep it from coming away from the planing stop. And it would also keep it um, from kicking away from the front edge of the bench, you know, and, and spinning off the planing stop from the back end. So it would give you a little bit of lateral support. Um, you would hold that batten in place with a clamp or a hold fast on the back side of the bench. So the clamp would be, you know, far enough away from the piece um, that it wouldn't interfere with the plane and the batten, not the hold fast or clamp itself would be what would be holding your piece and securing your piece uh, so that it wouldn't slide. If you have a tail vise, you know, you can just use, use that. Um, but I'm assuming you don't since you're posing the question and having trouble. The other thing you can do is to build a little appliance that we often use for planing molding stock. Uh, molding stock can be very small, you know, half inch by half inch by half inch, uh, three quarter by three quarter, three quarter by one, you know, very small stock, usually long, uh, you know, not quite eight inches. The molding stock is usually long, but the challenge with molding stock is that usually because it's so thin and so, so narrow, even though it's long, um, it tends to bow and whip around um, and, and flex while you're trying to plane it. So we use an appliance called a sticking board. And really it's no more than, um, <clears throat> than just two boards nailed face to face to create um, a little channel for that molding stock to ride in. So let's say you're planing a molding, um, you would make a, a sticking board. Let's say you could take a, a piece of uh, one by four and a piece of one by three and nail them face to face. And you essentially create this rabbit um, and your molding stock sits in that rabbit. The top board, the one by three helps to prevent lateral movement and flexing of the molding while you're planing it. And then to stop the, um, to, to work as a planing stop, you put a small, uh, wood screw in that rabbit and you plane into or towards the wood screw. Well, for your little piece, you could do something very similar uh, by creating a wide sticking board. So you mentioned that the work piece that you're working with uh, is about, what was it? Eight inches by uh, two and a half inches. So if you were to use, you know, like a, a piece of one by six from the home center, which is about five and a quarter inches. Um, and then take another piece of that, that one by six, um, and rip it in half, um, and put that on the top. You would essentially create a rabbit that is wide enough to hold your eight inch by two and a half inch piece. Then you could go ahead and put a, a wood screw or, you know, with a piece 
two and a half inches wide. I might even put two wood screws to plane into or towards to act as planing stops. Um, the you make that that sticking board long enough so that you can clamp it at both ends, or uh, um, you know put one end against the planing stop in your bench and clamp the other end in place. And the sticking board is long enough so that the clamps are out of the way while you're planing. Um, and then you can put that that eight inch by two and a half inch piece right into the rabbit created by uh, nailing or screwing or gluing those two boards together. Um, plane, push the uh, stock into the, the two wood screws that are acting as planing stops. And the top board, you know, prevents that lateral movement of that short piece across your bench top. So you can put pressure on the uh, fence of your plane to push the piece into the fence of the sticking board and plane towards your uh, your planing stops, your wood screws, um, and that should hold everything in place. And sticking boards are, are fantastic for stuff like that because you can you know, just clamp them down to your bench and then when you are done with them, you take them, you stand them up in a corner, hang them on a wall, throw them in the rafters until you need them again. So they're, they're fantastic little uh, appliances to have around. So I think that might actually um, be a great way to solve your problem. So our next question comes from Paul. He says, I have a, a random question that I was hoping you could answer if it's not a bother. I recently purchased a very long wooden plane about 30 inches long. However, it only has a two inch wide iron. I've never seen or heard of such a narrow jointer or triplane. Would you happen to know of what its intended use may be and if I could use it in lieu of a much wider two and five eighth inch iron with jointer plane for joining surfaces or truing edges? So, um, yeah, I, I think in terms of of English planes or American planes, uh, a 30 inch long plane with a two inch wide iron is, is pretty rare. Um, it's not something that, sh that you see too often. And if you do see an English or American plane with a, an iron that narrow, it's more than likely, um, something that was user made. So, uh, uh you know, a cabinet maker or joiner, you know, had this two inch iron laying around, needed a long plane, decided to make one himself from some stock that he had on hand um, and just used the two inch iron because, you know, for whatever reason, he needed a long plane and he had a two inch iron. So um, if it is of English or American make, I would guess it's probably um, it's probably a user made plane because, as you said, you don't see too many. You really don't see uh, planes that are that long with with a such a narrow iron. Um, it could also be that it uh, it could be a continental made plane. Um, you know, there there were a lot of planes being made in France and um, the Netherlands and Germany um, and you know even Eastern Europe. And uh, you know they may have made long planes with narrower irons. I'm not as familiar with a lot of the continental design the the continental plane designs i know they're similar to the english planes but um I, I don't have a lot of history with them i haven't really studied them all that much so um it could be you know just that it's a continental made plane and and they commonly made long planes with two inch irons i have no idea uh, but that is another possibility 
in terms of using it, I see no reason not to use it. Um, I mean, most of the stock that we use in furniture making tends to be, you know, about an inch thick or narrower for most casework and drawers and doors and things like that. So a two inch wide iron is going to joint those edges perfectly fine. Um, you would maybe have trouble match planing boards, you know, thick boards that are, um, that are, you know, that, um, that are that wide, but typically you wouldn't match plane boards that are that wide anyway. Usually you would plane them individually because it's just easier to, to plane them individually and joint them individually um, than it is to try and match plane them together. Match planing is usually saved for boards that are a bit narrower, you know, maybe five eighths of an inch or so and, and narrower, but not that you couldn't match plane wider boards, but uh, it's usually easier just to plane one edge at a time when the boards start to get up into that thickness. Uh, similarly, you know, if you're playing in edge edges for table legs or something like that, they're usually a little less than two inches wide. So um, I think you'd still be able to get away with that that joiner plane just fine. So our next question comes from Pete. Pete says, I'm new to woodworking. I started just about a year ago and I want to upgrade some of my tools. I have a hand tool only shop now, but was thinking of purchasing a bandsaw or a frame saw for help with resawing and milling. The type of projects I'm doing now are mainly small decorative boxes, but I plan on making larger projects down the road. I've done all my resawing by hand for the past year, and while I can get it done with a panel saw, I would like to make this process easier and less time consuming for me. My shop is in a corner of my basement, but I have a spot free for a power tool like a bandsaw. Because my shop is hand tool only, I have not had to worry about sawdust. I'm concerned about the dust from the bandsaw, even though I've been told it produces less than a table saw. For my budget, I can spend around $1,000. I have seen some cheaper bandsaws for $250, but didn't know if it's just a waste of money. Should I get a $1,000 bandsaw that is able to resaw up to 10 to 13 inch boards, or should I get a cheap $250 bandsaw with a six inch resaw? but then have more money for other hand tools like a router plane or a plow plane. Alternatively, should I build a frame saw and forget about the bandsaw altogether? So, um, yeah, this is a, a bit of a loaded question, but um, honestly, the answer to it is going to come down quite a bit to first to personal preference um, and then to budget after that. So, um, it sounds to me like you're, you're really already thinking about the bandsaw. So um, I'm going to guess that you're probably going to be happier with the bandsaw um, than you are going to be with a frame saw, just based on the fact that you've already kind of thought this whole bandsaw thing through a little bit. But um, the frame saw is certainly, certainly an option. Um, in terms of it being easier and less time consuming, I, I don't think you're gonna find that a frame saw is easier and less time consuming. It's just a way to make the process of, um, of, of resawing by hand a little faster and a little more efficient on wide boards. Um, now I don't use, I, I have a frame saw. Um, I don't use my frame saw very often because I'm, it's not that often that I'm resawing boards that are that wide. Um, when I do need to resaw boards, most of the time they're in the 
you know, four to five to six inch range, and I find a, a panel saw or, you know, the a standard length rip filed handsaw does a better job with those narrower, narrower boards than a large frame saw does anyway. Um, so I really save my using my frame saw for the situations where I have to resaw really wide boards, things that are like 8, 10, 12, 14 inches wide. That's when the frame saw really comes out. So the first thing I would ask myself is how often do you see yourself having to resaw that really wide stock? Because I mean, I build a lot of furniture and I still don't resaw stock that's that wide. Now, if your plan is to purchase eight quarter or 12 quarter, um, let's say you're going to make a piece and you're going to, you're going to purchase eight or 12 quarter figured stock for the drawer fronts because you want to resaw that, you know, eight or 12 quarter stock down to get all your drawer fronts out of the same board or to make veneer out of it. That's a whole different story. If you see yourself making a lot of veneer, uh, shops on veneer, um, then you may be, you may in fact, you know, um, be resawing wider boards more often. But in terms of the, you know, the typical furniture work, um, we don't tend to resaw really wide boards all that often. So in a case like that, the frame saw is, you know, is probably not going to be much more useful to you than your handsaw. Now, if it just comes down to really not wanting to resaw by hand, and that's what you're really getting at, then you know, absolutely a bandsaw is going to be a good investment for you. And there are a couple things to think about. The the resaw height, like I just mentioned, is going to be um, is going to be the probably the the factor that differentiates most of the the, the lower end saws from the higher end saws. But I don't want to consider. I don't want to say that just because a saw has a smaller resaw capacity that it, it makes it a lower end saw because it, it doesn't. Um, really, it has to do with the other build qualities of the piece. You can go on, uh, you know, Craigslist, um, eBay, um, you know, local Facebook, uh, what is it, Facebook Marketplace or whatever. And in a lot of localities, maybe not so much in, in certain areas like around where I live, but um, in a lot of localities, you can find used bandsaws on Facebook and and on um, on Craigslist for for decent money, a couple hundred dollars. It's the same price that you're talking about this Wen bandsaw, and I I have no experience with Wen tools whatsoever. Um, I actually hadn't heard even heard about them until just you know um, just this year, but. Um, so I, I don't want to, I'm not going to say anything on either side of the coin for about them because I have no experience with their, their quality. Um, but if it, based on the price point, if you're talking about a full sized bandsaw, like a floor standing unit for $250, um, I'm going to guess that you're not going to get a very high quality machine or something that's going to be able to efficiently do any resawing, whether it's a six inch capacity or not. Um, in that price range, that $250 price range, you're looking, you're typically looking at something that's going to be a benchtop model, um, which is really more for small parts like, you know, boxes, um, models, you know, very small parquetry and, and inlay and things like that. This all will be great for that. 
but for resawing, um, I don't think a bench top saw is really going to give you all that much enough power, enough stability. The, the rigidity and the stability of the saw is really um, is really what you need for resawing because you need to be able to tension the blade enough. You need to be able to, and, and you don't need a huge horsepower uh, motor for resawing, but you need a sharp blade. You need a properly sized blade, a blade that's sized for the saw that you're you're using. Um, and you need to adjust your feed rate based on the power of the saw that you have. So, um, but those benchtop units, those inexpensive benchtop units, I think you're going to be really, really frustrated trying to resaw with them. They're really not designed for that. But for that same budget, you can go and look for a used jet, a used delta, um, you know, U.S. made delta. Um, and you can find those used on Craigslist or, or Facebook, you know, for three, four hundred dollars, um, if that's if that's your budget. Um, if you want to step up to, you know, the big steel frame European style um, bandsaws, a thousand dollars is probably a decent budget for a uh, what what some power tool junkies would refer to as a lower end European unit. Um, I have used the the Rikon. I think it's uh, ten three twenty six. I don't quote me on the model number. I really don't know it off the top of my head. But um, it's a um, it's a European style, you know, steel frame bandsaw, fourteen inch, thirteen inch resaw capacity. I don't remember the horsepower of the motor, but um, we have one at the school. We have two bandsaws at at the school where I teach. And uh, one of them is the 14-inch Rikon. The other one is the 18-inch Rikon. The 14-inch, I think, runs about $1,100 normally. Um, but you can get it for, I think, probably $900, $850 or $900 when Woodcraft does their 15% off Rikon sale a couple times a year. So it's a reasonably priced saw. And I, I have a lot of experience with that saw. Um, and it's a very good saw for uh, for that price point and certainly something I would actually consider for myself uh, when I'm in the market for a bandsaw. So that's an option as well. In terms of the dust collection, um, yes, a bandsaw is going to generate less dust and chips than a table saw. And it's going to tend to throw them around less than a table saw. However, especially when resawing, you're still going to generate a large volume of dust um, and because it is being driven and thrown by a power saw it is still going to get airborne and it's still going to move around so I would still suggest you look into some method for collecting that dust at the source if you're going to go ahead and get a bandsaw um, you can probably you know with a with um with a bandsaw you could probably catch a lot of that dust with a moderately sized shop vac connected to the right size hose. Now most of the newer model bandsaws like the Rikon I just mentioned, they have a four inch dust port. So you would, in order to connect that to like a two and a half inch hose on a shop vac, uh, you would probably have to get some adapters and to step that down, uh, but you should be able to do that. Uh, some of the older jets and deltas um, and older 14 inch cast iron frame bandsaws that I mentioned that you can find on Craigslist for you know a few hundred dollars um, if they have dust collection and not all of them will if they have dust collection ports 
they will probably be smaller in the two and a half inch range. So those could collect, you know, connect right to a shop vac. And if you put uh, if you put a good HEPA filter in that shop vac, I would imagine you could collect the majority of uh, of the dust from that bandsaw uh, just with that shop vac. I think you you could do a pretty good job of it, at least minimizing the amount of it uh, that gets all over the place. And you know, since you're in a basement, you'll track less of it through the house. Um, eventually, you may want to look into a dedicated dust collector rather than a shop vac but if you have a decent shop vac you can uh, you can connect that and use that for the time being and it will certainly uh, it will certainly help with the uh, with the dust that the bandsaw is going to generate because uh, yeah even though it generates less dust than the table saw it is still going to generate quite a bit of dust especially when you are resawing but that would be um, that would be what I would look into you know if you're if if you've got that thousand dollar budget you may want to wait for, um, you know, for 15% off on, on a Rikon or a similar saw. Uh, I know there are others that get um, good marks and good reviews online. So you might want to just do a little bit of research on saws in that price range. Um, you know, I, I haven't done that research myself. So uh, I, you know, I have, I only have experience with the Rikon. So um, for myself, that's probably what I would end up getting because I already have experience using it. I know how this all works, and I'm happy with it when I use it at, at the uh, at the school. So, uh, but definitely do your research, and uh, because there are other saws in that price range, I know Jet has a 14 inch, uh, Laguna has a couple different 14 inches in that price range. There's the Grizzlies, so there's a lot of options in that price range. But you, like I said, you are going to want to hook up some kind of dust collection. So, um, if your budget does not allow for the saw in that price range plus some method for dust collection, whether it be, you know, a moderately sized shop vac or, you know, a, a small one horse dust collector that you can connect just to that bandsaw, then you may want to look into getting a used cast iron saw or even a, um, a new cast iron saw. I mean, you can get new cast iron um, like a Jet or a Grizzly. Um, I don't know who else is still making them, but um, you can get a new cast iron you know, frame bandsaw, um, for, you know, six, $700. So, um, you know, definitely look at that option as well. They're going to have a smaller resaw capacity. So they're, they're going to have a resaw capacity of about six inches. Uh, but you can get riser blocks for most of those where you, you know, you disconnect the, uh, the top half of the saw from the bottom half of the saw and you add in a six inch cast iron riser block and it takes that saw from a six inch resaw capacity to a 12 inch resaw capacity. So that's something you could always do down the road if you find that you want to start resawing a lot of wider stock and six inch just isn't doing it for you. Uh, you can always add a, uh, a riser block to something like that. But if you're looking at a lower priced saw, I would definitely look on the used market for something like an old jet, uh, an old Delta, um, you know, one of the old cast iron frame saws, uh, and there you can find them all over the place on, you know, places like, uh, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace, depending upon, uh, where you, you know, where you live. If you live anywhere close to, um, you know, a populated area, you're probably going to be able to find plenty of them on the used market. So our last question for this week comes from Josh. 
He says, I own a few German and one American-made wooden hand plane. What's the best way to flatten the bottoms without damaging them? Uh, so you've got a couple of options. Your first one is to flatten them just like you would um, the sole of a metal hand plane. Make sure you have a flat substrate, a piece of granite, a piece of float glass, nice and, and rigid, um, a, a cast iron bed for, for a joiner or a table saw. Uh, adhere a little bit of sandpaper down to that flat reference surface and simply lap the bottom of the plane. And it goes very fast with wooden planes. <laughs> if you're used to lapping the soles of, of metal planes, um, you'll find that wooden planes tend to go much, much faster. So I would start with probably uh, 220 grain paper with a, with a wooden plane, just so you don't overdo it. Um, the other option is to clamp the plane in a vise and just plane the sole. Um, and in both ways, whether you're going to lap the sole or whether you're going to plane the sole, you want to make sure you back the iron off um, a little bit. And you do want to put it under wedge pressure. Keep the iron in the plane and wedge it in place because it, by putting that wedge in, it does distort the sole of the plane just a little bit. Um, it's not an issue with metal planes because the iron is um, secured to the frog, not the sole of the plane itself. But um, in a wooden plane, you do want to have the the iron wedged into the plane when you're flattening the sole because adding that wedge does distort the bottom of the plane just a little bit. Um, but to do it with a, another plane, you just want to have another long plane. I, uh, I have a, a metal number eight joiner plane and uh, I will typically use that to flatten the soles of my wooden planes. Uh, just clamp the wooden plane in the bench vise, you know, with the sole facing up. Um, set the joiner plane for a very, very, very light cut. Um, and just take a couple passes, just like you're flattening a board. Um, and, you know, check often with a, a straight edge, maybe a pair of winding sticks and a square. And, uh, and you should be good to go. You shouldn't have to, to take too many passes with a finely set joiner plane to flatten the soles of those planes. So there's two methods for you. Use whatever one you're most comfortable with. So that is going to do it for our questions for this week. As always, if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show, just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to bob at brfinewoodworking.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 276-601-3123, or you can go to brfinewoodworking.com contact and fill out the contact form. So today's main topic is hand saws for curves. And it's a topic that came out of a question submitted by patron John Baird. John asked, I was wondering about your thoughts about bow saws, specifically bow saws for cutting curves. I have the Gramercy bow saw, and it's a good saw, but it's on the small side. If I was cutting a curve that was three feet long, it doesn't seem like the right tool for the job. How do people cut a curve like that before band saws? Why not a bow saw with a three quarter inch wide blade? Curtis Buchanan has a recent video where he uses one of these saws to saw out a seat blank, but I've never seen one for sale anywhere. I've also made curves like this with a draw knife or axe to hog out material and then refine from there, but it seems wasteful to do that. 
you did link a while back to a tool maker, windwardtoolworks.com, or sorry, windwardwoodworks.com, that would make any size blade, but it makes me wonder if there's reasons this isn't part of a standard toolkit that I'm missing. All right, so let's talk saws for curves. Um, I'll, I'll address your point specific to the um, the bow saw, the large frame bow saw, uh, shortly. But um, I do want to talk about all the different options, right? So um, when it comes to sawing curves, there we actually do have more options than than you might think. Um, of course, the the one saw that comes to mind most of the time when when we're talking about cutting curves by hand would be the metal frame coping saw. You know, the, the, this is the successor essentially to the, um, to the wooden framed turning saw or bow saw. Um, they're, they're available just about everywhere. They're dirt cheap. The problem is, um, most of them kind of stink. Um, the, the more modern versions of the coping saw, they, they tend not to tension the blade enough. Um, and they just don't work very well. And, and unless you find a good supplier of blades, uh, the blades that come with them typically just aren't that good anymore. So um, you're left kind of frustrated with the modern coping saws. The, if you can find an older one, like an old uh, Olsen uh, made in Germany model, they're actually pretty decent. I have one of those from about 20 years ago. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a fairly decent coping saw, and I use it quite a bit. Um, there, are, there are new options, uh, new concepts is making a, a new, it's, it's company is called New Concepts. They're making coping saws and fret saws um, in a new design. Um, I have not used one myself, but they get nothing but extremely high marks. Uh, when you read reviews of them and anyone I know that has used them um, thinks they're absolutely fantastic. So um, for a coping saw, that's a, a good option if you want to look into a higher end saw. Um, Blue, Blue Spruce Toolworks is also making a new fret saw. Um, I'm not sure if his take coping saw blades or not, but um, it's a smaller framed saw. So I'm not sure, you know, how may, you know, how long of a curve or, or or what kind of blades it takes. I haven't done a lot of research into it, but uh, that's another option as well. And Dave makes awesome tools. So uh, I would expect nothing but, you know, fantasticness um, from, from Blue Spruce. Um, but there's a couple other things that you can look at it. You know, the coping saws really like smaller bow saws really are only very useful for thin stock and you know short curves um, they're great if you're going to do tight scroll work um, maybe you're you're doing fret work or inlay or something along those lines um, you know but if you need to saw out you know a rocker you know the rockers for a rocking chair or um, a round tabletop maybe you're making you know like a shaker candle stand or something with a round tabletop um, it can take an awful long time to saw out something that long in stock that thick with a coping saw 
Um, it's just not the right tool for the job. Um, even with the the 12 inch bow saws that are, are common today um, that companies like tools for working wood, the, the Gramercy version, um, their, their saw is a nice saw. Um, I don't have it myself. Um, I have an old 12 inch wooden version that has been modified to be able to fit the Gramercy blades and, and it's an okay saw. It works well in the proper stock again you know with the, the blades that that saw comes with um, are more like coping saw blades they're not very aggressive or very fast cutting and when you get into stock that is three quarters of an inch or thicker it's not the right saw for the job it's really a saw that's made for scroll work um, you know just doing small stuff it's not meant for large furniture scale curves um you know maybe the back splat of a chair i think the saw the gramercy saw would excel for something like that um that's really what it was designed for but to saw out a tabletop or to saw out you know um the shape of a windsor chair seat um or the rockers of a chair it's just not the right saw for the job you really want something with a, a bigger blade more aggressive blade and not such a narrow blade. The, the blades of the Gramercy saw, I think, are about an eighth of an inch wide. And I find them just too thin for anything but, you know, doing fret work and scroll work. They're, they just don't have enough body to them to help you follow a more gentler curve. Um, and, and they're not aggressive enough, you know, for thicker stock, in my opinion. So what other options do you have then? Um, well... The first is to look for something called a compass saw. And these were common saws, um, you know, during, uh, during our ancestors' days, you know, and Distin made hundreds of them. Um, a compass saw is, you, you can still find them today, made today, although I'm not so sure that I would buy a new one because they... They just don't look very comfortable to me to use, and um, I'm not sure. Like a lot of other tools, um, I think the the original design and use of the saw has been kind of lost, and they're just sold now as you know a small handsaw uh, for doing straight cuts. But a true compass saw would have had a blade anywhere from you know 12 to about 16 inches long, um, an open handle, kind of like a dovetail saw. And uh, the, the saw blade was usually about an inch wide at the handle and tapered down to about a quarter of an inch uh, wide at its point. Um, again, about 12 to 16 inches or so from the handle. Um, and these saws were, they were designed for cutting curves. Um, in order for them to do that, they did need to have a little bit more set than your um, your standard saw. Now, some some documents or, or some some writing about compass saws would say that the, the teeth would have no set, um, and in some cases that might that might have been true. But um, in order for that saw to have no set, there would have to be a significant taper from the tooth line to the back edge of the saw blade. So. Um, while you could use a compass saw with no set, um, you would need to find a blade with a pretty significant taper. And when the blade is only an inch 
uh, an inch wide, you would really have to taper quite a bit in order to be able to turn that saw through curves um, without having any set. So um, in my experience, uh, compass saws do need some set because the, the blades just don't taper all that much from the tooth line to the back edge uh, over that one inch width. Um, so it is going to need a little bit of set in order to, to let you saw through a, a curve. Um, but that is one option, and they, they were usually uh, a much coarser number of teeth. You know, you would, you would have maybe eight teeth per inch, almost like what you have in, um, you know, in a large handsaw for, for cross-cutting. Um, and uh, a compass saw would be used, you know, for making curves. So you would be doing partially ripping, partially cross-cutting. So filing those would be somewhere between a cross cut and a rip saw. Um, Distin actually also made a larger version of a compass saw that they called, ironically, a table saw. Um, and the reason it was called a table saw is because it was essentially designed for sawing out the tabletops, round tabletops, oval tabletops. Um, that's what the saw was designed for. The blade was a little bit wider and a little bit longer than your typical compass saw. Um, and, it, you know, it was designed for sawing those long, broad curves of a tabletop. Um, and it, and it, it can excel for that if set up properly. Um, but a compass saw is actually a pretty good saw. If you can find a good old one with enough blade left, you sharpen it up real good with nice aggressive teeth. Uh, you can make short work of sawing some some nice broad wide curves, long curves with a compass saw. Um, another option for sawing curves is going to be a saw called a keyhole saw or a pad saw. Um, these are closer in use to a modern coping saw. Um, not that they were used for coping, but they were used for sawing typically interior curves. Um, they had small blades, fine teeth, um, and folks often called them keyhole saws um, because they were often used for, um, after drilling a hole, for sawing out the shape of a keyhole in, in a door or in a, a furniture part that was getting a lock. Um, so they were often called keyhole saws. You'll, you'll find them called pad saws or turning saws similar to... Um, similar to framed turning saws or bow saws, like we're um, more familiar with today. So getting back to the question on the larger frame saws or larger bow saws, um, they are available and they were available um, for, for many, many years. And larger turning saws were popular and in the kits of um, of makers who needed that kind of tool for larger curved work. Um, what you saw Curtis B. Cannon using um, at one time was commonly available uh, on the old tool, on, on the new tools market actually. There was a company years ago called uh, Traditional Woodworker. Uh, they closed down a couple of years ago. They used to sell two versions of a large turning saw, a large bow saw. One was, I think they called it their deluxe English, you know, turning saw. 
Um, and the other one was made by Omia um, and later made by ECE and still made. You can still get one made by ECE. It's a, a, a German made saw. Um, I don't believe that the large frame 24 inch traditional English turning saw is still being made. I don't know who made that saw that traditional woodworker used to carry. Um, and when traditional woodworker went out of business, um, actually it was before they went out of business, they stopped carrying that, that saw. So I think that, that, that particular one, the traditional English, the large traditional English bow saw, the 24 inch version, um, I think that may have been discontinued and I, I don't know who made it, what company made it in the first place, but, um, so that one I have not been able to find. Um, but ECE is a, is a German company, EC Emmerich. Um, they do make traditional German style frame saws, bow saws, uh, for ripping, cross cutting, um, and turning. And I think you can get them up to 26 or 30 inches long. Uh, I'm not sure that the turning saws come that long, but, um, I think you can get cross cut and rip saws, bow saws from them up to 28 or 30 inches long. So, um, they are still making those saws and you can still find them. You can also find their turning saw, I believe, in uh, in like a 24-inch length. Um, and I have a, a blade. I don't know if it was an ECMRC blade um, or if it was a blade from that, um, that traditional saw that I mentioned, but it is a 24-inch turning saw blade. And that saw's the blade on that saw is, I would say, closer to a quarter of an inch, maybe even more than that, maybe five sixteenths to three eighths of an inch wide. Um, and it's got a, about nine teeth per inch, I think. And uh, again, the purpose of that is for is for sawing curves in wider, longer stock. Um, I never made the frame for it. And someday I'm hoping to get around to doing that um, because I've already, I've run into so many situations where I could have used um, a longer frame saw, more aggressive uh, bow saw. Uh, and I just haven't made a frame for it yet, but I do have the blade. Um, but you can, you can get blades, you can get saws, uh, EC Emmerich being one version. Woodjoy Tools also sells a 24 inch long um, bow saw, turning saw. So that's another option if you don't want to buy a blade and make one yourself but they were um, certainly pretty common and they do work very well for sawing larger curves that wider blade definitely helps to um, temper the curve so that you you can't accidentally turn too sharp so it helps to flatten out you know when you're trying to make a nice um, a nice large radius curve like for a tabletop or a uh, or a rocker or something along those lines. Um, the wider blade definitely helps uh, with with doing that um, with those longer sweep curves. Um, and the longer blade definitely helps with the thicker stock. So, so look into those two companies. Uh, I would say um, EC Emmerich, their 24 inch turning saw and Woodjoy Tools 24 inch turning saw. And that is probably what you're going to be looking for. Um, you know, more aggressive blades, wider blades, thicker blades, um, something that that's meant for doing heavier stock. And again, the other option is to to make your own. Um, they're not that hard to make. 
they don't have to be real pretty. The blade is the most important part of it. So, uh, you know, make the saw light enough to use. Uh, get yourself a good sharp blade. And uh, I think you'd be surprised at what a 24-inch saw could do. Uh, but I do agree with you. It is kind of a shame that uh, more companies, you know, that, that, that no one is making, not too many places anyway, um, are making larger, larger turning saws. Um, but I think sales volume on those would probably be pretty low because most folks that are making chairs are, you know, they're turning, they're, they're cutting their seat blanks out, uh, on band saws. Um, you know, so that I think, uh, I think that the market would probably be pretty small for those larger turning saws. And I think the market has been pretty small for them. And, and that's why they're becoming more difficult to find. But, uh, EC Emmerich and, Woodjoy Tools, look at those two companies and, and you might be able to find that, that longer, more aggressive turning saw that you're looking for. So that is going to do it for this week's show. As always, I want to thank you all for joining me and allowing me to do this. I am extremely grateful for all the support you've all provided. As a reminder, please send in your feedback, questions, and topic suggestions because this show depends upon your input and participation for its content. Just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to bob at brfinewoodworking.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 276-601-3123 or you can use the contact form on the website at brfinewoodworking.com contact. If you're looking for the show notes for today's episode, you can find them on my website at brfinewoodworking.com htt052. In the show notes, you can find any links that I referred to in today's show, and you can also find links to follow me on all my social media accounts. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, you can become a supporter on Patreon and get your questions answered in the monthly Q&A video, or you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you'll find links to do so in the show notes and at brfindwoodworking.com support. So thank you again for listening, and until next time, stay sharp, everybody.